So you go down this cliff, go left down the cliff, yeah. left, and then just tumble for a while, and then you should be there. When a competent observer looks for signs of despotism in a community, he looks beyond fine words and noble phrases. It's society. They work for each other. They pay each other. They buy houses. They get married and make children. That, that just sounds like slavery with extra steps. Go into the automobile business and compete with the auto trust. Can I go into the grocery business and compete with the chain stores? Not a chance. Monopoly is the menace of free enterprise. Because it's just a big money-making machine. They're wandering through a maze of inauthentic, fake landscapes, and they can't escape. The message in all this is that the capitalist system in America is unfair and is, in fact, a failure at providing for basic human needs or maintaining continued national growth. I, I can't wait for like the episode of like who wants to be a millionaire where all the contestants like team up and they overpower the hosts and they share the money. Bottom-up horizontal connection is sharing at all levels, not top-down control. We take it in turns to act as a sort of executive officer for the week. Because as communities go, so goes the nation. Okay. Welcome back uh, to the Three Left Show. Uh, you're not really gone from it. Still during it, obviously. I was just playing music. Duh. Uh, so I'm back uh, just starting late um, and alone again. Unexpected, but whatever. Not a big deal. I am adaptable person. Uh, so happy Halloween, everybody. Uh, so my plan, loose theme of random stories, really, but, uh, things that scare me or things that might be frightening, not the fun kind of scaring you. Unfortunately, I'm not really that type of nerd. Um, definitely not a horror nerd and I don't really like horror movies or media very much. So instead I will just read the kind of stories that I shy away from because they would kind of bum me out and i don't want to bum you the listener out but certainly to black pill uh accept the nihilism accept the uh nothing really matters but everything also matters let's uh start with the story published on um Itamonia by umar hawk it's called when we warn you about authoritarianism we're not kidding here's what it's really like so if you haven't been stressed out enough or anxious enough like i have been the past week about the election it's not that it's actually not the outcome or the contested election or whatever civil unrest will result. In fact, I'm actually not expecting quite a lot of unrest like others seem to be, uh, like um, after other elections or something like that. Usually the loser just kind of gets deflated and has to mope uh, at home and no one's really angry enough to go out into the streets and break things. But well, maybe this year would be different. Uh, we always think in next Maybe next year, maybe next year, maybe during the inauguration, which I was at last time. And um, but anyway, what I'm uh, what I'm afraid of is the Green Party losing ballot lines and access and basically being set back a decade since we didn't really gain the kind of traction we wanted to in the last decade. Same with the progressive movement overall. It just feels like one big setback, though we need to keep in mind that the growth of radicalism and the amount of people who are interested in being part of radical change is growing in an almost exponential curve. I think there's a lot of people just waiting for election day and and they're just ready to join an org. They're ready to be part of the fight. They're just wondering how and you know and the next step will be the hard one, but getting started is is always hard. And I 
as well as many other podcasters and people online and Facebook groups are there to recommend. There will be people with experience to recommend what kind of projects to take part in, what kind of things to start yourself. There are guides out there. There are um, other things like that. And in the rest of the year will be episodes about left-wing strategies of where to go from here, what to do in the next year, regardless of the outcome of the election. Because as far as I'm concerned, it's the system. is the system that needs to be fought, not a particular president. It really doesn't matter to me. I'm fighting the system. That's why I'm Green Party. But whether, yeah, and again, the thing of like, whether or not Trump wins or not, it seems like right-wing violence will increase. They will be emboldened if he wins, and they will be upset and start shooting people if he loses. It's the same either way. We got to fight the fascists. We got to fight the conservative movement uh, in whatever form it takes and the various different forms it takes. So what's life under life like under authoritarianism worse than you imagine and closer than you think? By now, it should be plain to see that America is at a moment of extreme peril. It is one small step, a stolen election, a thwarted one, shock troops in the streets, militiamen executing people for political reasons in the streets from full-blown authoritarian collapse that lasts a generation or more. So what is life like in an authoritarian state? We survivors keep warning you real Americans who have been lucky enough to have never experienced such a thing. But because real Americans have never experienced life under actual authoritarianism or under fascism, those very warnings seem like seem hard to grasp, difficult to process, strange and alien. I feel we survivors haven't made our warnings concrete enough. So here is what life is like under one. And when he says real American, by the way, I mean something like the white Americans who, because their grandparents immigrated a few decades before ours, feel the need to ask, but where are you really from? I put this in quotes because, of course, we are all real Americans. Or are we? The writer states, I've received my first death threat when I was at the ripe old age of 14 years old. It wasn't like you think. Some chubby basement-dwelling dork with fists about a dangerous as pillows says he'll kill you on Twitter. This one came from a seriously violent man, uh, men in organized groups, wings calling themselves militias, carrying machine guns, whose only real job it was to kill people who had crossed the line. I was still just a kid, but I'd crossed the line, and now the fascists wanted me dead. I was on their list of people to murder now, and people on that list tended to die gruesome deaths. Yes, really. It happened like this. There isn't much to do in authoritarian states. I'll come back to that. So I became the science writer of a noted paper. Yes, that's a little strange for a kid, but in authoritarian states, education isn't valued, neither is science, much less writing about it. So there I was. My job basically consisted of taking articles from functioning societies, which had a thing called science. We weren't allowed to because the fanatics would kill you over it, and publishing them for that audience we had. I tried to make it fun. I was a kid after all, so I came up with weekly science quizzes. It wasn't totally insufferable. Mostly I was a teenage punk, but we'll come back to that too. My science quizzes were a big hit because they poked fun at authoritarians who believed in dinosaurs, the fanatics, Charles Darwin, Aberdeen, and so on and so on. Oh, I've made a mistake, dear folks. I haven't read this one yet. There's one where he's warning you that authoritarianism is coming, and it starts with basically a militia person like Carl Rittenhouse, a teenager, by the way, who went to protect property from protesters and then ended up shooting said protesters. 
getting an altercation, whether it's who shot first or who was armed first. Well, he had his gun out for sure. Uh, and the fact that he not only kind of almost gets away with it, but is praised, held up as a, if not a martyr, but like this man deserves a trophy for winning the hunt. That is frightening. But I'll get back and finish this here. So what is life in authoritarian regimes and, and how is this teenager coping with it? He was now a writer. So I got assigned a bodyguard. There I was, 14-year-old punk with green hair and a bodyguard. I didn't take all that seriously until one day we were driving home and we came to a roaring, surging, shouting crowd on the street. Another thing, par for the course in authoritarian societies, not of peacemakers, of raging fanatics, of fascists. Look at these fools, I said, rolling my eyes. Shush, said my bodyguard. This was serious, because they were about to notice me. In that instant, they did. And then they started twirling things. I went numb. My bodyguard slowly forced the car's way through the crowd. And we made a narrow escape. Too narrow. My heart was pounding. It had been a joke, and now it was lethally real. I'd almost been killed as a 14-year-old kid for writing about science by armed fascists. Maybe that sounds exciting to you. It was to 14-year-old me. All those grown-ups at the parties. With that, I earned their respect and even more laughter. Umar escaped from the gunmen right around under their nose. What a kid. I wondered what they'd would have said if I hadn't. I'd been one bullet away, ten feet away, five seconds away from being shot dead by fascists and fanatics. That's life in authoritarian society. Sure, it sounds like a scene from a movie. It was like one. Is that what you want for your kids, though? To be hunted in the streets for doing things that are considered normal, even accomplishments, in other free societies? Or freer ones? That's where America's heading. I know you doubt me. So let me put it in perspective for you. Consider for a moment that armed militias are already executing protesters in the streets, and the president has given his soft license and approval. That is an exact analogy of what I went through. Being hunted and attacked by a militia who wanted to kill me because I challenged the sanctity and purity of their fascist beliefs. What's the difference? Almost nothing. Or just go ahead and remember Heather Heyer, who was killed by a fanatic too. I just want to say it doesn't help when Biden says has to, feels the need in his moderation to condemn looting and rioting and violence or any kind of standing up for your rights you know uh, right-wingers will um or even moderates will say political violence is justified when you're asserting your rights and stealing from a walmart i suppose doesn't look like you're asserting your rights but if if it's a positive right to not starve or positive right to have housing and clothing and you really just don't have the money for any of that it's asserting a positive right, and that's that's what looting kind of is for. It's asserting a positive right instead of a negative right of fighting back against someone who's doing something to you. But really, the system is depriving whole populations of the basic necessities of life, including shelter. Mass evictions have already started in various places. Some places like my own in New York, there's still a memorandum. There's still no rent freeze, but at least a memorandum on evictions. But that's not enough, because as soon as that memorandum gives out, and it just keeps getting pushed back and back and back, you know, the rent's going to be due. And it's like one big, giant debt of many, many thousands of dollars just put on families that are still unemployed or unemployable. So like I said, is this the kind of life you want for your kids, being hunted in the streets by fanatics? It's on its way. And every single one of us survivors knows that. It's real Americans who are not quite yet getting the gravity of this threat. 
After I was nearly killed by fascists for writing a science column, the editor of my paper wrote a piece challenging the government. Only a little too strongly. He'd always edged the line, that fuzzy boundary which exists in authoritarian states, of what you can get away with, how much criticism is allowed, how much reality you can really talk about, and now he'd crossed it. So one day, armed men without any badges showed up to his home early in the morning. Now his home was, like in most authoritarian states, a fortified compound. But when I say armed men, I mean men with even bigger guns than his guards. They knocked his guards to the ground, burst into his home, and they abducted him. Took him to a secret jail, tortured him. I don't remember how long. Six months? Two years? That's another thing that happens in authoritarian states. Forgetting. You don't remember. You don't want to. You know you should, but the mind is traumatized. Better to forget. Fascists count on that, too. Everyone is always busy forgetting something in an authoritarian society. It becomes hard work. You party to forget, drink to forget, do anything, just not to remember last week, last month's, or last year's horrific abuse. Doesn't that describe so much of American society right now? When anyone complains about short attention spans, or the political amnesia, uh, cycle to cycle. My editor had been disappeared. He was not a nobody in this society. In fact, he was quite well known. So another thing that happened in authoritarian societies took place. Hey, did you hear that Kumar got disappeared? Ha, I hope that poor bastard makes it. That's not his real name, obviously. There is no real word for this emotion in free societies. It's an expression of despair, cross of humor, to cope with it all. Cross with a kind of bond of solidarity. You shudder as you laugh. You go numb to try to smile. The message has been sent. If they can make one of the most famous people in a society disappear, they can do it to anyone. My other was a tough man. In fact, it had happened to him before. He was that combination of things that Americans don't quite know. Gentle but strong, wise but funny, warm but ice cold. I thought to myself, he'd probably make it. And he did, one day. For no reason, it appeared. They finally let him out. Finally, and nobody talked about why. That's yet another facet of authoritarian life. Had his family paid off the bad guys? Had he signed some kind of confession agreement? Had they just clockwork oranged him out until he was broken? These are impolite questions. They are the same as saying, was he strong or weak? And that is insulting to a person who had just been disappeared by fascists. So in such authoritarian states, such questions aren't asked. And yet, that creates a weakness. How are you to challenge the fascists if nobody ever talks about what they do when they disappear you? So they get away with it, over and over again. Now, it's when I say, when a leftist says there's no difference between, regardless of who's president, we're referring to the fact that we are an empire, and there's imperialism in play. And even in liberal, professional wings of political life, uh, commentators on TV, there is no conversation, no questions asked about our empire, our military exploits, not in any serious way. Like, should we still be in Afghanistan? Why aren't we just pulling out? Why are we still fighting seven wars? Why are we engaged in six, seven conflicts? Whose assets is it serving? Is it even in America's interest to keep up the charade of hegemony? That we are the policemen of the world, we're taking care of things and making, keeping the world in order? And that it wouldn't be in order if we weren't doing what we were doing, spending the trillions of dollars. There's kind of, it's the same, I see the same attitude. We just don't talk about that. It's just not challengeable. And if you do, you are branded a kook and pretty much blackballed. 
when Howie Hawkins was on MSNBC, he was brought on for a total of two minutes. And for the rest of the segment, five, six-minute segment, the Joe Scarborough and team proceeded to give all the reasons why you should not vote for Howie Hawkins and how it's actually helping Russia. Oh, that would help Russia if we cut the military. They scaremongered. Frightening. And they only let Howie speak for about a minute and a half, meaning give his three-sentence stumpy speech and um, basically give a half of an argument for, you know, that he's... There's no spoiler effect. It's all myth-making. But then, again, Scarborough and Host proceed to spend double the amount of time out regurgitating, vomiting out, every spoiler, not so much argument, but line. And it's just through that repetition that so many accept it as true. My editor emerged unbroken phased a little maybe as americans say bent but not broken and we all thanked our lucky stars because the truth was that they could have done anything they wanted that they didn't kill him maim him was a calculation too only a calculation not some kind of constitutionally binding rule of law there was no rule of law and i don't consider it to be one in america either so when i i chortle and scoff whenever rule of law is mentioned. I'm like, what rule of law? It's made up as you go. If rights or freedoms or principles are in the way, what the bureaucrats or the legislators do is just work around it. They find a way to do what is quote-unquote necessary to keep the ship moving, keep the stock stable, and so on. Now, if you're a real American, you might say, Umar, why are you telling me this? It should be clear already. Armed men from the, at the time, head of the state's private paramilitary, carrying heavy weaponry without badges, answerable to no one, operating above and beyond the rule of law, abducting people, knows that's exactly what's happening in America now, too. And I mean exactly what is happening. Trump now has the powers of a Gaddafi or Saddam. And that is through the adding of powers of the imperial presidency since 1950. It's been in the works. It's not a long plan. It's just the progression of the trajectory of the American government. As soon as we became the predecessor empire for Britain and the bulwark of order, we needed to become an authoritarian state or take these things on. I've told you three tales of life in an authoritarian state. What I haven't told you is this. I was one of the lucky ones. I came from the stratum of society where, though my life may certainly have been in danger, I was still protected. I was lucky enough to have a bodyguard. That is why I could mount my little revolt, only because of my privilege. Everyone else, those that weren't as lucky as me, most kids would never have had a chance as I did. And so what fight could they win against authoritarians? They were too busy hoping not to be noticed, to fly under the radar. And maybe lives, whatever semblance of a normal life they could, they were too busy doing things I didn't have to worry about, eking out a living, trying to get into school, and nobody would protect them if they spoke up. Nobody was going to give them a bodyguard. And again, I'm going to return back to like, well, why would a leftist ever say that America is authoritarian or fascist state, uh, even, even 10 years ago or 20 years ago? Well, just look at all of the people in America who are afraid to be political. That say like, well, why, why aren't you involved? Like, oh, well, you know, the nail that sticks up gets hammered. Or, oh no, 
the powerful guys in town will make my life heck if I rock the boat. Don't rock the boat. And that's normal for many, many people. That is the place America is heading now. Uh, with people not having any of the resources to fight back. The average person is already broke, indebted, weary, and anxious. Imagining that during a second Trump term, they are going to somehow mount a noble battle against authoritarianism is a fantasy. The battle is now, in the next 60 days. So he makes it about the election, he makes it about getting Trump out. I think this is a terrible mistake, because this is the way people have been acting. I think, again, people forget that it was after Obama was elected, in two years' time, or less than two years, you had the formation of, like, not the official Tea Party, but you had this nascent reactionary movement to flip the Congress back and, you know, stop the Obama agenda. And it was f- just the same as the Trump crowd now. It's it's not really bigger or, or such. It's It's the same people. Racist, ugly, terrible... And then a bunch of shy people or people who are not out, you know, waving Trump flags, but certainly supportive of the status quo and not rocking the boat too much and not trying new things and just keep the stocks level. Keep the line moving up uh, for my 401k. And I'm going to keep my head down so I can just retire happily on the backs of the global economy that's dependent on slave labor. Anyway, this writer makes it about this election uh, and getting Trump out, which many, many leftists say Bernie or Bust like almost completely dissolved as a concept of like leaving the Democratic Party. I mean, perhaps they're just waiting to get rid of Trump. And, and that seems to be the narrative that I'm maybe hearing more and more and more that it's all about getting rid of Trump. They're just not saying what's next. They're saying something dumb like we're going to hold Biden to the fire or we're going to keep him honest or we're going to fight for progressive the progressive agenda regardless and they're not saying how and i I don't that makes me very nervous because to me it just sets everyone up to do the same thing for the last 10 years we get biden in and then in two years there will be a new tea party of the trumpers will have their revenge and flip the congress and the senate back after two years of say biden milk toast reforms that don't really solve anything, but somewhat put a Band-Aid on the bleeding. But anyway, uh, I've spoken to you three things in these my stories. Abductions, disappearances, assassinations. Those three things have already happened in America. I've also spoken to you about the way we cope in authoritarian states with fatalism, with deadly silence, with deliberate forgetting, and how all those tools the fascists use, those are all happening in America too, and have been happening before Trump. That's by me. Don't minimize this threat, though. America is far further down the road to a collapse than real Americans yet understand. That is what we survivors know and why we are trying to warn you. My three stories, me, a 14-year-old, being hunted by fanatics, a man widely respected and admired, disappeared and tortured, just like that. The reformer that was gunned down for becoming too much of a threat to send the public message that violence is what really controls society. That is what Trump wants for America. It's not now, of course, I think it's a terrible mistake. Trump does not know what he's doing. He is not the mastermind that is the leader of a movement. He is the symbol of a movement. He is the figurehead. But as soon as he is voted out, there will be another figurehead or there will be actual leaders. 
though that's just like most of American society, it's so decentralized. A real centralized leader is hard to come by. The best you can do is have a symbol because we're so symbol-minded. That is what Trump wants for America. So he, he frames it as Trump, so I'm going to skip that. You can expect all those things to become normal everyday parts of life in a second Trump term. I think they're normal now. I don't know what he's talking about as far as, like, it just isn't an everyday occurrence, but it happens pretty somewhat frequently, especially when it comes to the police gunning people down. It's just that they're not badgeless militias. But who needs badgeless militias when you have... Blue lives matter when the police are Trump all the way. And they've got Nazi tattoos underneath their uniform. If you give up your voice now, I and every other survival of authoritarianism will are likely to agree you will live in this kind of society that we grew up in, where nobody is really free, where death is something that stalks little children, where people disappear and their friends try to desperately forget. So it doesn't happen to them, too. Is that what you want? Because that is what you're about to get. It's not a joke. It's not a drill. We survivors can't warn you any harder. It's happening here in America. The very same horrors of our childhoods. The terrible and unspeakable things our parents fled from. Remember the vow every survival of authoritarian fascism makes. I make it that day when I was an inch away from being gunned down. Not even a man hunted by fanatics who wanted to kill me for nothing more than a word, a belief, a phrase. You must make that vow, too. It is your time to fight the good, beautiful, noble fight against all the ugliness and stupidity and violence in the human heart. How many have fought it before you? Courage, my friend, courage. Say it with me. Never again. Now, let's see. What? Yeah, let's let's go to foreign policy, which is uh, just... This is just the same topic. It's uh, in the argument section, which I guess is kind of their opinion section, but instead of opinion, they call it argument, which is probably more accurate. Uh, since, you know, opinions, reading the paper growing up, I always found the opinion section to be more informative because um, not only did you have multiple perspectives represented, so you had more, like, actual values being expressed, but also the the opinion section, the columns would have facts and reporting in them. It was just that there would be a conclusion and an argument made for something. And I felt like, shouldn't everything do that? I mean, shouldn't it at least make the argument that I need to care? Simple boilerplate reporting seems to, you know, the, the view from nowhere is, it's not just lacking in entertainment value, it's lacking in emotional character of actual literature, of a, trying to inform me. Like, what's it really trying to inform me of? America is about to enter its years of lead. This is what it's called. Trump's calls for political violence are a familiar far-right strategy. This is by, written by an Alex Yablon, published at the end of September. Let's see if he just focuses on the last, the first debate line, Proud Boys, Stand Back, Stand By. You know, and this, is, this is a thing throughout the Trump term, that everyone really takes trump seriously when he's just babbling it's like he's both constantly not doesn't know what he's talking about doesn't even know what he's saying at the time and then at the same time everyone's like subscribing some kind of intent maybe maybe the compromise is that everyone's concerned about the effect of his words which they do but at the same time putting like power into words is like magic 
And this is also, I feel, a mistake. It's non-materialistic. It's putting the cart before the horse as far as, like, meaning is concerned. Proud Boys, stand back, stand by. Told the supporters in a far-right street-fighting group from his podium. Somebody's got to do something about Antifa on the left. Four years into the Trump era. Don't call four years an era. It's not an era. It's a term. Americans have struggled to habituate themselves to the persistent presence of armed paramilitaries and demonstrations and flashes of lethal political violence. But this discounts that when the police murder or manslaughter someone, that isn't political. Everything is political, my friends. Everything. And I'm not joking. You should interpret it as political. Every trial, every every act of violence that occurs in this country is a type of political violence. It's just whether or not it's actually motivated consciously or not. Are the stormtroopers waiting for Trump's signal to hasten the transition from autocratic attempt to autocratic breakthrough? And the final demise of American democracy, as some liberals fear. Or are they a sideshow of confused, lonely men acting out fantasies with semi-automatic rifles? They could be all these things, folks. Both hyperventilating over paramilitary fanatics and laughing off potential death squads miss the mark. The whiff of push may be more pungent than feels comfortable at the moment, since I've mentioned before the military does not support Trump and they're not going to stand with him, defend his presidency. But the far right's window for an extra legal takeover remains quite narrow. <laughs> especially if polls hold and Biden wins by a healthy march, especially when it when you consider what it would take to hold said power. But yeah, I'm not confident when you when you know how state bureaucrats think, even ones that are all Democratic Party members. They are, again, all in silence, all go along, get along. I just love my paycheck and my nice suburban home. And as long as they keep that, uh, I think they'll be okay with, uh, you know, keeping other people down and and, uh, putting gays back in the closet and doing all the aggressive stuff. If Proud Boys and Vigilantes can't pull off a coordinated, you know, I'm not really one for costumes and pageantry. Uh, It has its place in direct action. But it needs to be there with other types of more radical militant work. Um, just doing it on its own. Like, yeah, we show them by reminding onlookers and ourselves that, you know, this is dystopian. It's like, you just, it's not enough to just keep saying, this is dystopian, this is authoritarian. You gotta be building the opposite. You gotta be doing the opposite. And liberalism isn't really the opposite anymore since that's what we've had and it's leading into like i said for 50 years more than 50 years the president has been giving been given more and more powers liberals did that too that wasn't seen as the end of democracy but it seemed like it seems like every four two years it seems like we've we've put another notch in the end of democracy and it's like percy's ship where you place all the boards of the ship and it's the same ship if you replaced every part of the American institutions with things that go against principles of fair play and democracy, then really it's like, yeah, you have no right to call it that anymore. You know, when third parties are effectively banned, when it's impossible to mount any kind of challenge in elections, then the elections are meaningless and everyone knows it. That's why they don't vote in them. Only this time people are more vote motivated to do it. On the off chance that it actually uh, 
has a some import in in getting in rid of Trump and stopping the madness and replacing uh, a terrible symbol for America with a better one. But the damage has been done in the world stage. No one can trust American government again. Scary. If Proud Boys and Vigilantes can't pull off a coordinated drive for power, they may opt for a time-honored approach in democratic politics, the strategy of tension. In a paper published this spring, University of Winchester criminologist Matt Clement and Vicinio Scalia define the strategy of tension as a political method of state crime designed to produce a climate of fear within communities. Uh, They employ deceit, threats, and acts of violence in order to maintain control across society through fear of the consequences of challenging the government of the day. Now, it's assumed that this can only happen under Trump or with a Trump-like figure as president. But I disagree. I think under a Biden presidency, all of that can still happen. It's not like the FBI is going to round up all the Proud Boys. Because as Biden says, when it comes to political protests, the bad guys are rioters. They're the people that are saying no more. They're, they're asserting their rights. Oh, and they have every right to do that, that peaceful, peacefully protest. We're not going to forward any real reform, but they can do it. How is that any different? To not actively harm? No, you are actively harming them. That's what they're protesting. The act of harm caused by, by American governments. doesn't matter if they're Republican or Democrat. That's what conservatives seem to like half point out when they say like the, the riots are only in democratic cities. Yes, because local governments suck. Because they're authoritarian. Because they, they keep out uh, alternative voices. And anyone who's really a threat to state power or the, the status quo, they get shot. Whether by accident or in a shootout. That's what happened to the Panthers. That's what happened to the New Left. In the 60s and 70s, they get infiltrated. But anyway, the uh, the tragedy of tension. The term was coined in Italy during the years of lead. So that's what that's referring to. In the late 60s and 80s, when political violence exploded with bombings, kidnappings, and failed coups making weekly headlines. Under the strategy of tension, as the left grows more militant, influential, and strident in its demands, you know, in reaction to just how, how bad everything's getting, the right tries to inflame social tensions rather than diffuse them. The violence has a dual purpose, to both suppress and provoke. The right's aim is to cordon the left off from power by simultaneously intimidating them, eliciting escalation, getting the police to crack down, and using the chaos to manipulate public opinion and political alliances. So you could conclude that the left needs to, quote-unquote, stay peaceful. When I say militant, it doesn't always mean actually using violence. Maybe against property, which I'll cover in a bit. That'll be the next thing. Virtually every member of the Western Alliance has had its own years of lead. Not only Italy, but Britain during the Troubles in Northern Ireland. France has it tied to the cling to Algeria and was targeted by its own military terror campaign. South America has its years of Operation Condor. Mexico's Dirty War and so on. America is no exception. The country has been here several times before. Bleeding Kansas during the 1850s, when slave owners and abolitionists faced off in murderous confrontations. The birth of the first Klan after the Civil War during Reconstruction to resist radical Reconstruction, meaning giving black people actual rights and empowerment, economic empowerment. And the wave of violence that accompanied the rise of the third Klan during the Civil Rights Movement, 
in the 60s. Elements of the left, from John Brown to the Italian Red Brigades, have also pursued violent accelerationist campaigns in pursuit of social change. But only the reactionaries have enjoyed approval from more mainstream sources of political power. I wonder why that. Why is that? Often they get logistical support, as well as material and legal cover from security services. So under a Biden presidency, I feel that that will also be the case. You will have right-wing paramilitaries doing this stuff, and local police will be helping them, as they do now. It doesn't matter who's president to me. They're going to be, that's what's going to happen. Clement and Scalia described the strategy of tension as a vicious cycle. State penetration, prevention of emancipatory politics leads to dissent, which is in turn repressed and delegitimized. Further isolating social movements. With now outlet for their demands, activists presume more radical confrontation, leading their opponents to justify almost any kind of violence and maintenance of the regime. Law and order. Rule of law. That is why I do not like these phrases, because they are going to be used, and they always have been used, to stamp down social movements. Regardless of how militant they are, they were used against MLK. They were used against that movement. He was assassinated, remember? That was also a strategy of tension. And then the government declares a war on drugs, as if that wasn't a continuity. No, there was no break. It's, it was, it's the same thing. Simply a transition to being official, to maintaining order. That dynamic is on display in the response to this year's BLM protests. Once initial police suppression was met with uprisings, the good guys with guns, patriots, militias, they showed up, sensibly there to protect businesses and support law enforcement. The armed right has instead bought Chekhov's AR-15 onto the political stage. The inevitable exchanges of gunfire and political assaults at protests demonstrate. As Christina Caraguchi recently wrote for Slate, the political ethos of own the libs has escalated to kill the libs. In the classic model, the strategy of tension was associated with Cold War covert action and the CIA. But of course, it's not kill the libs. They're killing the left. The libs are still always untouched. That says something to me. Now, of course, who counts as the libs? I think when the, there's a synagogue shooting or churches. Yes, okay, that's killing libs. So, I, take, I walk it back. Tragedies are everywhere. But liberals aren't armed, and they're not going out to punch Nazis. In fact, they say, no, don't. We have to stop this vicious cycle from occurring. And so we have to stay nonviolent and not step up to their provocations. But they're going to do what they're going to do. So it's, it seems a trap. We'll discuss this further in future episodes. This is definitely something to explore and try to figure out what kind of middle, not a middle ground, but like what, what kind of nuance we can draw between just like, you know, we got to go out and punch Nazis, we got to go burn it down versus, you know, don't do anything. Don't provoke the right. They're scary. They're going to take power if you provoke them. Like they're going to take power if we don't, if we just sit on our hands. Or if we just vote, voting is not going to stop them. Voting doesn't stop the war on drugs. Voting does not stop people dying uh, from a lack of access of health care. We haven't voted these things in 
Voting has not brought any of these things in. And if and voting gets Trump out, that will be seen as a victory for, like, voting in democracy. Meanwhile, the Green Party is going to lose all of its ballot lines. And we may still get it. But I find it odd that there are certain people in my timeline that are now hoping we retain our line after spending all year never mentioning us or arguing that we have to get rid of Trump, don't vote Green. Got to vote for Biden. In all the safe states, wherever you are. Doesn't matter. Even though more people than ever are going to be voting Biden to get rid of Trump. So, like, why not the left at least do, quote-unquote, the right thing and help build something, build that alternative? Or else we're just going to be, we're not stuck, but we're going to have, and we're going to keep having, we're not going to have any choice but to bow to the neolibs. That's not just the neolibs. Now they're in concert with the neocons, the Bush-era people. They're all there. All of Biden's cabinet are also all corporate people, corporate all-stars. I mean, you know, it's not mafia-like, but I mean, it is a type of organized crime. Let's see. If Biden wins, as polling suggests is likely, though polling can be has been wrong before, it's hard to imagine the like patriot prayer will surrender and disappear. After all, Trump has cast the election as an apocalyptic fight for America's soul. That's funny because so is Biden. The fight against communism, right? Because, you know, that communist movement, it's, it's, it's just we're inches away. Inches. Republicans portray Biden, however, tenuously as a tool of the, the squad in Antifa and his potential victory as inherently illegitimate, uh, recreating the fear of the left led many in Europe during the Cold War to try to exclude socialists and communists from power. Given the persistence of the 2020 racial justice movement, it's hard to imagine that the resurgent left will shy away from making demands of the newly empowered Democrats. They're never really empowered, though. Wall Street is empowered. They're their party. So to many on the armed far right, it might appear that their work will have only just begun if Biden takes office. They've got everything they need to continue operating as a domestic stay-behind network to antagonize, suppress, and isolate the left. Most valuable from of all, permission from above. So that's the end of that article. It's not a very nice conclusion to me. Uh, it seems to be uh, lame. It's missing another paragraph. Uh, why? Because he's he seems to end pointing out that uh, should Biden win, that the strategy of uh, the strategy of tension will continue. Getting rid of Trump doesn't stop this. Isn't that scary? Are you scared yet? Happy Halloween. <laughs> now, why am I not scared of this? Well, I think as um, let me recall an antidote for you. Uh, it was during the occupied movement, and we we're on our way. I went to join a protest, a simple flag-waving protest, nothing too direct action-y. We were going to protest, just pick it, the fundraiser that Mitt Romney was fun having a fundraiser at the Hamptons. Hamptons being the posh, uh, super-rich neighborhood on Long Island facing the ocean. Now, we couldn't get anywhere near the estate, obviously. Uh, we were in the realm of 10-foot-high hedges of security and mass security and houses and anywhere anyone's actually is is a full like half mile from the road so instead we went out to um the beach and then we marched along the beach 
to somewhat wear the approximate area. So maybe the people at the party could see us from the beach, but there was a, there was actually quite a, um, the small cliff between any of the houses and the actual beach. I found it really interesting that all these people that like moved to the Hamptons and they actually don't actually have beach access from the, from the houses if they have beachfront homes. I found it really odd. Like they don't, they're not really there to use the beach <laughs> to be in the ocean. It's too dirty, too dirty. Anyway, the anecdote is we were on the way and a, and a woman, she was talking to me about how, because um, I, I maybe mentioned fear of being arrested. And she mentioned how, like many things, you're afraid of it until you do it or it's done to you. And then, say you're mentally prepared or you actually make a good experience of it, you get stronger from it. Um, it depends on the person, of course. There's um, variety there. Um, but in her case, um, once she was arrested and spent night in lockup and met nice people as you do in lockup, uh, and have some good conversations or find some solidarity with others, uh, you come out stronger. And then it's like, yeah, I'm not afraid of being arrested ever. Not again. I could be arrested a hundred times. It doesn't matter. Mostly because when it's out for a protest and it's like the kind of charge that, you know, you're not going to go to prison for, and you're not going to be locked up without, uh, charges. But, um, but there is a fear of that since the police and the, you know, police state does that. Uh, like say to the teenager who is at Rikers for, five years six years for stealing a backpack so uh if they can do that to a black teenager then you know maybe they could do it to me if they care enough i'm privileged but am i that privileged does my privilege would my privilege protect me like the like the first writer in the authoritarian state is america liberty loving enough let's say i want to read poverty is getting worse but let's again i don't Okay, so no, the, 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 okay, it's not an article, but it's a, so I will link to it, but I'll read the abstract here. Poverty is getting much worse thanks to the policies of both parties. This is by the New Progressive Alliance page. All indications are that poverty is not only getting worse, it is approaching third world status in many areas. We can ill afford to ignore these dangers. The evidence pours in poverty is getting much worse in America. Poverty and the stress of being poor is killing people every single day. To aggravate the problem, actions and agencies which in the past alleviated the misery, such as unemployment insurance, Medicare, access to higher ed, Social Security, are now being dismantled or diminished. The chances to climb out of poverty are diminishing, and there is a sophisticated effort to portray poor people as lazy moochers off of society rather than hold policymakers of both parties accountable. The reason I have so much uh, so many references is to show this is a steadily increasing trend that I continuously update. It is not a vanishing blip on the radar. Failure to deal with this trend will have disastrous consequences. This is not the result of an accident or a natural disaster. It is the result of decades of government policy by both Democrats and Republicans. This will have disastrous consequences, being that line again, as we head towards a more and more ever-growing unequal society. And there's a list of how many references? Going, 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 still going. It's in the 300 range. Piled, oh, there are 301 and room for more. And it's basically uh, 
basically every article you could probably imagine describing the situate economic situation of a growing majority of Americans. Okay, and the last... Uh, so I mentioned uh, militant tactics. Elite, um, I didn't mention it, but uh, I've been sitting on this one for a while. I saved this one uh, when I almost started the show uh, three years ago. And uh, why? Because it's uh, it's a dicey one. And uh, it's a gray area. I don't... It's like... How how meaningful is it to say I don't condone crime? I do not suggest anyone commit crimes. But I'll also point out that America was founded on a series of illegal acts. So this is from it's just called Greed. Yes. Place that just called Greed. Blog and outlet or something. And uh it is titled Um I support the heroes that robbed Kim Kardashian. And this is before she married uh uh, Mr. West. Oh, yeah, okay. This is written by Dr. Bones. Uh, and if I f- think, yes, uh, he is um, one of the co-hosts of the Guillotine podcast. So if you want more of him, go to the Guillotine, uh, the cutting edge of leftist discussion. I try to be a little less uh, dicey. <laughs> dicey is a guillotine. Um, but uh, it's Halloween, and I want to read something that uh, might frighten people. Especially, it's like, this is, yes, they're leftists that think like this. Ooh, scary. Save me, Proud Boy, save me. I will run to Trump if he's the law and order candidate. But really, uh, the way to circumvent that from liberals is to make Biden the law and order candidate, who uh, will put down the riots and, uh, and Antifa and um, stop the scary leftists from robbing me. But really, uh, this is, again, it's important that this is Kim Kardashian we're talking about. It's a particular person, but it really doesn't matter uh, if it's just her. It's not like she individually deserves it. This is a discussion of class. In a daring and heroic act, Kim Kardashian, living symbol of the vapid veneration of celebrities and mindless pursuit of profit, has had a gun jammed in her face and, quote, was robbed of millions of dollars worth of jewelry while visiting Paris on Sunday night. In a country with a youth employment rate of, at the time, 23.5%, some unknown proletarians brought home the terror and degradation they face on a daily basis to one of the most despised creatures ever to crawl out of the cesspool that is the celebrity scene. France has always been home to a particular and infamous strain of anarchism that has struck fear directly into the hearts of the bourgeoisie since its inception. It is called illegalism. From Jules Bonnet robbing banks to Marius Jacob breaking into churches and the houses of the wealthy, the French elite have spent many a night dreading the return of anarchists that had no time for peaceful marches or some far-off revolution. The illegalists fought class war in the present tense, deeming all members of the wealthy as guilty as anything that they had up for grabs. Quoting uh, some illegalist text, By refusing us the right to free labor, society gives us the right to steal. In taking possession of the wealth of the world, the bourgeois, the ruling class, have given us the right to take back, however we can, what we need to satisfy our needs. Anti-authoritarian, we have the burning determination to live free without oppressing anyone, without being oppressed by anyone. Current society, based on the absurd egotism of the strongest, on inequity, on oppression, denies us this. In order not to die of hunger, we were forced to have recourse to various expedients. 
accept the stupefying and demoralizing existence of the wage earner, work, or the dangerous existence of the illegal. To steal and get ourselves out of this mess through means on the margin of the law. Now this um, brings to mind that in, say, small cities, that if you look at various successful families or successful individuals, if you might go back, there is a buried undercurrent that if anyone really got out of poverty, they did so with some assistance of committing crime. Uh, for a blatant example, uh, take a look at, say, rich rappers. They will speak openly about how in their teenage years they were criminals. Maybe they're not proud of it. Maybe a lot of their raps in their bars will, are about uh, how lost they were. But their career was, it was fuel for their career. It gave them uh, something to talk about. Um, but then there's also the whole, like, I was able to not die because I committed crimes. And you look at, say, the Kennedys. They gained their wealth by boot leak, uh, bootstrapping during Prohibition era. You have many other families that, through organized crime, built a nest of wealth that then was invested into proper legal ventures. And then that became, you know, the virtuous cycle of wealth creation for them. Maybe it's through some kind of fraud through government subsidies. Maybe it's through, you know, some other program. Uh, but crimes are committed, and that either helps or is required to get out of poverty. Maybe stealing from the boss now and then, just to not just to make ends meet, but to have a little surplus. So, so maybe you have that extra time or energy to do the the extra thing that made someone the successful entrepreneur. And this is especially true of like if you go back enough. So those that maybe didn't get rich or successful by committing crimes, well, maybe their parents did. I think this was the plot of, um, or or was a, a analysis of uh, the Place Beyond the Pines, a movie that was shot in Schenectady, and it's mostly about you have struggling poor people, um, or they have have a business but it's struggling, you know, so they're not getting rich from it, and that's the case with many small businesses. And that's kind of the, the lie or the myth-making of, of American entrepreneurial spirit, that you have all these small businesses, but they're always, always struggling. They're always a hair away from failure. Why is it? Well, if you compare them, if you actually kind of did a study uh, where everyone was honest, maybe we might find that all those successful small businesses that grew and became monopolies in their region, maybe they were committing crimes on the side. They were cutting corners. They were doing what they deemed necessary to win in the marketplace. And all those businesses that fail or are struggling or are always just a hair away from failure, they're following the rules. They're not committing any crime. Maybe that's the difference. I'm just suggesting it. But it's, it's, it's a pattern I see in various media, especially when people like through art honest about the world they grew up in or the people around them. Uh, there, there are property owners that used to be drug dealers. And they've gone legit, and they're property owners now, a landlord, and now and now they're respected community leaders. But they're also being a drug dealer is a type of leader, um, in that whole blocks of people depend on you for uh, goods and services. You can depend on them. <laughs> Not calling anyone in particular out, just pointing out that such 
examples exist. The thieves made off with a ring worth about four and a half million and a jewelry box containing other items worth five and a half million, liberating themselves from uncountable hours of slavery and making it very clear to the jet set wealthy that they are not untouchable. Now, Dr. Bones is a, is a very entertaining writer. Even if these uh, even if these unknown brave souls do not identify themselves as members of an anarchist milieu, maybe they're just random teenagers, we can take all great joy in the attack on one of the most visible appendages of American celebrity. President Novarto called such endeavors heroic when committed against the wealthy because such direct action could only be, quoting him, taken up only by that daring minority of extrubinate exuberant ones, who, while belonging to the class of discredited proletarians, have a rigorous and lively nature, rich in free-spiritedness and independence, who cannot accept being chained in the shackles of any slavery, whether moral, human, social, intellectual, so much of the less, economic slavery, which is the most degrading, most mortifying, most shameful slavery, impossible to bear when healthy, leonine, or throbbing blood pulses through the veins. Those French writers. I found it interesting watching uh, Kanye West on Joe Rogan's. Uh, I didn't listen to all of it, of course, but just like a half an hour of it. And he clarified, apparently a clarification of his like, you know, people choose to be slaves comment. He was speaking of debt slavery. He just doesn't have the language to say debt slavery. There's just slavery and he knows what that is. And so he was comparing being stuck in debt uh, as being a slave. And since people voluntarily choose to go into debt, because it's totally, you know, uh, a choice, sarcastically said, that it's like, oh, it's like people choose to be slaves. Whoa. But what I'm pointing out is that he lacks the vocabulary to be clear and to actually express his thoughts like, say, I can, because we have completely different life stories. So I'm not trying to compare. I'm not comparing cucumbers or oranges here. Um, just pointing out that, like, if he knew the phrase debt slave or wage slave, then he wouldn't have been misunderstood, called out, and made to look the fool. If he had more vocabulary, he could be a lot more radical. And, and and understand politics in a way it's like yeah i could i should be president i'm a i'm a spiritual leader <laughs> we'll go into that more here's the here's the last part of it rather than feeling sorry for some overpaid clown we should be asking why we all aren't engaging in similar acts when the wealthy so gleefully enjoy lives they've neither worked for or even earned why should people suffer unmonitored police id checks against non-white people on the and that's in quotes on the streets of Paris while jet-set rich folks can hide in the Hotel de Porches. A no-address establishment which offers luxurious and discreet apartment rentals to the rich and famous. Why should people who live in French towns like Ginny, where three in five children live below the poverty line, meekly do nothing as a grotesque plastic idol freely flaunts items worth more money than they'll ever earn? Class war is a reality. The enemy, those... The enemy, those who prevent us from living, be they Kardashian, cop, or congressman, we are all under attack and must start to defend ourselves, preferring to rob rather than be robbed. In a predatory system that exploits the many while enriching the few, we can only howl in laughter 
as Kim Kardashian bitterly tastes what working people have for generations. Dr. Bones is a conjurer, card reader, and ecotist communist who believes true individuality can only flourish when the means of existence are shared by all. Florida native and a hoodoo practitioner. Continue the rest, uh, but he does gonzo journalism, and he is on, I remind you, he is on the Guillotine podcast. So in the last 10 minutes, I'll move away from Halloween scares, and that was me um, uh, not expressing it myself, but reading a type of anarchist uh, to scare you, um, like, let this do, in fact, think like this, Um, or that there is, in fact, a tendency called illegalism, which is, well, if they're going to steal from us, we might as well steal from them. But do it responsibly, folks. Make sure no one gets hurt. Yeah, so the, so I'll, I'll I'll end with what scares me, which is um, even though there's some concern now being shown that the Green Party may in fact lose our ballot line here in New York or elsewhere because of well party suppression, uh, that is being done by the Democratic Party, not the Republicans. Republicans vote suppress, Democrats party suppress. It's a team effort. So it's Howie Hawkins, Green Party candidate for president. Uh, his Hail Mary article published by Counterpunch. Uh, there are paragraphs that he repeats things that I've literally read um, in the past year. Not only his own words, but um, arguments made in other pieces. Uh, let's see. Yeah, so, so let's let, let's break the amnesia a little bit and remind ourselves of 04. A number of prominent progressives issued statements calling on people to vote for Democrat John Kerry in the close states and the Green Party candidate in the so-called safe states where the outcome would be not close. In 2020, many of these same people have moved further to the right and the call for Biden without any support for a green vote in any so-called safe states. In 40 states, the vote for the green presidential ticket determines whether the Green Party retains or gains ballot lines for the next election cycle. In most states, it's 1%, 2%, or up to 5 And there is no support for the Green Party this year from these progressives. What? has happened to left solidarity. They have abandoned the idea that the best way for the left to fight the right is to build and fight for its own independent strength, advancing its own program under its own banner against a two-capitalist party system of corporate rule. Instead, they have responded to the rise of Trump by shifting to the right with him, telling the independent left to silence, disarm itself, back Biden, a man who would fit comfortably into the center-right parties of Europe. So I'm bringing this back around to the, what makes a society authoritarian? It's a, and to me, it doesn't matter who's saying, shut up. We gotta do X. Or we gotta keep our heads down. For Biden. You know, for getting Trump, for the sake of getting Trump out, shut up. You know, don't make an anti-imperialist argument. You know, when Howie did that on TV, he was called like helping Putin. Reliance on the lesser evil has historically led to greater evils. In the classic case, instead of running their own candidate for German president in 32, the the Social Democrats voted and supported for conservative Hindenburg, the lesser evil to Hitler. But then Hindenburg won, and then appointed Hitler to the chancellorship. Communists ran their own candidate in the most sectarian way imaginable. The socialists and communists then formed a left united front. If they did, they would have outpolled the right-wing party. But they didn't. Instead, progressives are forming a coalition with the right. 
not the Trump right, but the, the right of the Bush years, the neocons, that right, David Frum, these, these Republicans who have come to, come to Jesus, sickening. You've joined with them. You're moving to the right. That's not saving democracy. Don't you remember how much you hated Bush? When I was growing up, it's all I ever did. And I carry, and not the hate for Bush as a person, but that government. That Wasn't that government as worse as far as what it did, did to American democracy? They didn't even win the election, the electoral vote. Amazing. Meanwhile, the progressives in the Democratic Party are accommodating to Biden's politics. Bernie Sanders is now for Medicaid for all over 55 only, with a public option for the rest. AOC took the Green New Deal slogan from the Greens, diluted the content with a non-binding resolution, dropping essential immediate demands like banning fracking and new fossil fuel infrastructure. If we keep building it, we're going to keep burning it. Eliminating the rapid phase-out of nuclear power, the words Green New Deal were not mentioned at the Democratic Convention, and the Sanders-Biden Unity Task Force recommendations on climate, or in the Democratic platform, which is pro-fossil fuels and for the first time in 50 years, pro-nuclear. There will be no Medicare for All or Green New Deal from the Democrats, let alone a retreat from military bloat, wars, and coups abroad. But these progressives counsel console people to vote for them any, everywhere. They tell the Democrats to take them for granted because pose no threat to vote for the Greens anywhere. And thus, we do not support a safe state strategy. Every state is a battleground for the Green Party, for the left, for the things we care about. Uh, let me skip ahead. Simple-minded trope that a vote for the Green is a vote for Trump ignores the fact that a Green vote is in the Green column, not Trump's. It is an anti-Trump vote, a stronger anti-Trump vote, and a second front against Trump that adds to the total against him. But instead of a united front against Trump, at least in safe states, these progressives are showing no solidarity with the Greens. That trope is falsely assumes that green voters will vote Democratic. It ignores the fact that most green voters are green voters, not wayward Dems. Greens bring their own voters out, people who are disgusted with the two corporate parties, with the status quo. A hundred million people didn't vote in 2016. They are disproportionately working class, people of color, and young. They are the potential base of an independent left in the U.S. So there's always potential. The 2016 exit polls showed that 61% of voters for the Green presidential candidate would have stayed home. Now, I think I mentioned this um, last week that Matt Taibbi and others are like, if Biden wasn't on the ballot, I wouldn't vote at all. This is madness to me. Do they not know Howie Hawkins exists? I, I find that hard to believe. The move to the right by the left, <laughs> so-called left in this election, has reached into the ranks of traditionally independent socialists who used to take the position of building an independent socialist party and no support for any capitalists. These folks used to believe that crossing the line of a working class, political independence, in elections is like crossing a picket line in a strike. On the System Change Not Climate Change website, Eco-socialists are not calling for system change in this election. Maura Steffens calls for a vote for Biden, even in her home state of New York, where Biden has been ahead by almost 25% or more since he became the nominee, since March, and more than 30% in the polls since late August. It's only grown. Likewise, Ted Franklin 
on the system change, not climate change website, calls for a vote for Biden everywhere. Even in his home state of California, where Biden has led Trump by an average of 32% since March. On this radical listserv, commentaries on these articles, others have chimed in for a vote for Biden everywhere, including the safe states. Brian Tokar wrote he was voting for Biden in Vermont, where the polls have him consistently ahead by 23%. Richard Smith is the author of a recent book, China's Engine of Environmental Destruction, a devastating analysis of the drivers of endless rapid growth embedded in China's hybrid capitalist system, and in China's police state that represses all resistance to it. His own recent post on the system change, not climate change. The Chinese Communist Party is an environmental catastrophe. But agreeing with a vote Biden everywhere post, he wrote, given our winner-take-all system, no third party has a chance in this country. So left political struggle takes place outside the parties and inside the Democratic Party for lack of any other option. That is like saying, given the Chinese one-party state, the Chinese left of environmental, labor, and oppressed nationality, pro-democracy activists, should all work inside the Chinese Communist Party for lack of any other option. What happened to system change? But there is an option for the U.S. left. Greens have one office in over 1,200 elections in over 30 years. Over 100 currently hold office right now. The left could replicate those wins in the thousands if it stops saying and acting as if there's no other option but the Dems, where progressive demands are always going to die. The irony of this shift to the right and no support for the Greens as an independent left by so many prominent progressives in this election is that in hopes of getting rid of Trump, they have followed Trump to the right. After this election, if the Green Party is eliminated from many state ballots, the question may not be what happened to left solidarity, but what happened to the left. Period. With that frightening reality, I say happy Halloween. My profound thanks for listening, which is a skill zone's importance talking. Check out my social media, Facebook and Twitter. That's the three lefts where I post new episodes of the podcast. This program is made part of an independent community radio station, so support us materially. Make a donation or have a membership. It's only $30 a year at WCAALP. GrantStreetArts.org, or support us with your time, help share the show, like it, like like posts, engage, engage, engage. This episode, last ten are broadcast on most apps. There's also a full archive at threelefts.news. So be well, keep it rad, keep waving the flags of the three lefts.